1: That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500, 500 This is the Ion Travel podcast with CBS News travel editor Peter Greenberg, presented by Clear. Enroll today at clearme.com slash Peter and try Clear at the busiest airports nationwide.
0: Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. The European Union announced that fully vaccinated Americans can now travel this summer to- any one of its 27 member countries. This could be a game changer, and some countries have already jumped out in front. Greece is opening to U.S. vaccinated passengers this month. Then came the CDC announcement it would be lifting its conditional sale order to allow cruise ships to sail from and to U.S. ports. Another game changer. I'll talk about this first with Harry Theoharis, the tourism minister of Greece, who discusses the steps they've taken and are about to take, not just with the airlines, but with the cruise ships. The European Union announcement that effective immediately, but with no yet set date, uh, Americans who have been properly vaccinated will be welcomed in all 27 European Union countries this summer. Uh, that is welcome news for a lot of people. Me too. Uh, welcome news for the airlines or the cruise lines. Welcome news for the Europeans as well because they're hoping for reciprocity by the United States to welcome their vaccinated citizens to the United States. Joining me now, someone who beat the gun, someone who who got out of the gate first. He's the Honorable Minister of Tourism for Greece. Theo Harris, who announced about a month ago that as of May 14th, so that's coming up, anybody who's a properly vaccinated passenger, especially an American, can come to Greece. Yes. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you, Peter, for uh, having me here.
3: Of course, we did announce that. Uh, we believe firmly that uh, countries that um, have progressed uh, uh, further than uh, others in the vaccination program really have to be saluted and this, this progress has to be recognized somehow. So we are recognizing it by selecting uh, a few countries that have been vaccinated to say the vaccinated citizens plus the PCR negative uh, test citizens are allowed to travel to and come to Greece. And you realize of course all the Americans who studied Greece in high school have been waiting to come. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> of course. Uh, we're blessed to be fair uh, this is uh, a place where a lot of our our thinking our values uh, was born uh, and uh, it's always nice to go back to your roots even if those roots are metaphorical
0: well forgetting the metaphors <laughs> let's go back a little bit more than a year ago if we were having this conversation in january of 2020 it would, obviously it would not be about a pandemic but another problem over tourism yeah i remember talking to your predecessor the minister of tourism for greece elena who was telling me we don't know what to do because it's getting overcrowded. So one of the solutions that they came up with then was let's spread out the actual travel season. And which, by the way, is not a bad idea, right? October is okay to me. But easily said. Uh, easily said, but, but not easily than, done. Yeah, yes. You're right. Um, and, you know, here was Venice saying they didn't want to become another Barcelona, Barcelona saying they didn't want to become another Venice. I remember going to Venice and seeing the Bridge of Sighs, which turned into the Bridge of Thighs. It was like <laughs> everybody with their selfies it was like, stop this already. They were even thinking of putting turnstiles in St. Mark's Square. And I remember seeing, being in Athens and looking up, you know, at the Acropolis and seeing that line of people. It was just never-ending. So that was the, one of the crises you were trying to manage. Now, it's not a question of managing those numbers. It's a matter of quite a, how do you get those numbers back, and at the same time again. balancing it between the revenue needs and the public health issues.
3: Yes, of course. It's, it's, it's all about balance. I think you, you mentioned it already. Um, to be fair, we did not have a similar problem like the one you mentioned in Venice or even Barcelona. So uh, f- for us, but the perception uh, was. Well, I'm I'm certain, yeah. but uh, it it was more about managing the flow. So right. we started immediately as, as soon as we we had this discussion back in 2019 uh, to create uh, the systems, the, the infrastructure, and the the new attractions to manage the flows, especially in Santorini, which is if you like the one that has the. That perception. was the poster child.
0: That was the poster child for over-tourism. Correct.
3: Uh, So, um, uh, and you don't want to leave that out of the question. So, let me tell you, we're trying to restart. We're trying to look at sustainability from the economic and the social side. We're trying to balance with the needs, everything we do, everything I come up with in terms of a plan. I have to go to the committee of experts, the health experts, and we discuss it. And we come up with the compromise that's required
0: in order to um, find this balance with uh, in terms of the but health. But you just said a very interesting word, compromise. Oh yes, of course. Because there are, other, there are other countries that that word is not part of their vocabulary. It's either you can go or you can't go. Well, um
3: the word is part of your reality, whether it's part of your vocabulary or not, <laughs> so either you compromise and you control part of the equation, or the compromise comes to you, <laughs> and reality controls all of the equation so this is this is not about a choice between compromise and no compromise. you cannot. Not compromise, because you are a politician who's trying to um, fulfill the needs of all the constituency, uh, all the Greek p- population. Some of them work in the uh, in the tourism sector. Depending on it, of course. Uh, so, so it's important to keep this this uh, kind of balance. And also, we have to understand the tourism, at least as the way I understand it, is not a nice to have this year. It's a requirement tourism we have to say that tourism is a need is a basic human need even if it is just for a year because we are so stressed we are so mentally unbalanced with all those restrictions our lives have changed and have been appended so uh, thoroughly that we cannot find our way back unless we go through some kind of uh, healing process and tourism is part of that healing process. So I I think that's important to keep in mind when we make the decisions as politicians and when we set
0: the priorities as politicians. Well, let's go back in the timeline because there are a lot of countries that have waited to make a decision. There are a lot of countries that didn't really have a plan
3: You guys started early. Yes, we started early. Back in January, as soon as we were ready even before, but back in January, as soon as we saw that in Europe, the vaccination program started, we got the first vaccines, uh, it was 26th of uh, December, and the thing started rolling. Uh, We said, okay, what's the next uh, step? What's going to happen when the vaccination uh, process uh, fulfills its uh, purpose and people want to come back to normality? Then we'll be looking for the protocols. Then are we going to be start uh, discussing with the doctors? No way. So, 12th of January, our Prime Minister Kiriakos Mitsotakis sent a letter to the President of the European Union Ursula von der Leyen, asking to the establishment of a new. A certificate that will show the status the health status whether that is vaccination status or a negative test or recovery from the illness and what was the response the response was uh well lukewarm <laughs> let, let, i'm trying to put it as <laughs> you're being nice <laughs> you're being nice <laughs> In a political political way but uh, we have we have to say that many countries did not see the logic unfortunately those countries um d- what they did not realize is that the gravity of common sense is irresistible. You cannot escape common sense. And this was common sense. So many of those countries that were against it uh, are now for it. They're actually actively pushing it. And I think we're at the stage where we actually need to take one step further. Uh, Now that we almost have it and we will have it in the next few weeks operationally and legally binding instrument, which is this uh, Green
0: uh, Pass. Which is one that you've developed.
3: Yes, we, we developed it already and now we just digital. Yes, we add all the countries so that we create one European umbrella so that you don't, as the US, you don't have to deal with Europe in 27 uh, negotiations. You, you, can, you can deal with Europe as, as one entity. So, um, now we have to establish a common set of rules. Because if, if each of those 27 countries make a, makes a different decision for vaccinated people, for negative tests, for recovery, on the way in, on the way out, et cetera, et cetera, then we're still back to your favorite word, confusion. So we need to, uh, uh, we need to right. get away from that.
0: Well, you know, everybody's talking about a vaccine passport. But if you don't have a centralized set of regular... It's u- not u- a passport. I, I want to uh, remove that uh, word from Digital question. document, is that it's better? It's a
3: certificate because we don't say that you cannot travel unless you're vaccinated. This is not discriminatory. We're saying if you're vaccinated, these are the rules. If you have a negative test, these are the second set of rules. Okay, so you know what, walk me through them now, all right? I have a negative COVID-19 test. Can I come to Greece? Yes, you can as long as it's 72 hours before your arrival. Um, even if I'm not vaccinated? Even if you're not vaccinated. Okay, so that's A. A. B is, Vaccinate. I have vaccination. Sure. I don't, do I need the no- negative test? No, you don't need a negative test. You just need to show me the CDC card, the U.S. CDC card uh, showing that you are uh, vaccinated. And uh, two weeks have passed since your, your second dose. So you have to come after 14 days? After 40 days from your second dose. Otherwise, you have to do the negative test. And that's it? That's it. When you arrive, you uh, may be subject for testing. A small percentage will receive the right to do a random testing. Uh, That way we monitor the kind of risk and incidents that we we import, if you like. Um, You will be isolated in case you're found positive with your family in a hotel, uh, a four-star hotel, which is... um, By the way, I insist on four-star hotels. Yeah, of course. You should. You should. (laughs) Um, But we allow five-star or higher-rate hotels to be able to provide this isolation in their own premises. because. Uh, they might want to provide this kind of service to the customer. I got it. And um, uh, other other than that, you're free to go uh, to follow the protocols. And that involves the entire country. Of course. there's no All the islands, everything. There's no discrimination. The entire country is open exactly the same way like uh, it's open for Greeks. Now, right
0: now, in in the interest of full disclosure, you are in a lockdown situation. Yes. Right? So between 9 p.m. at night and 5 in the morning, you're not going anywhere.
3: You're right. And we have disclosed that this... Uh, All those restrictions will be gradually lifted until the 14th of May when we open the the tourism... uh, So that is really the target date? Yes.
0: We were just getting into, before you boasted about Greece inventing uh, about ship travel. I humbly apologize. No, you don't. But, <laughs> but bottom line is, you couldn't do this in a vacuum. You had to address the cruise lines, which, of course, were essentially idled by the CDC no-sail order. You're dealing with more than 300 ships around the world at anchor or at a dock going absolutely nowhere, and people desperate to come back to cruising, especially Mediterranean cruises. You started cruising first. You started with those bubble cruises, right? Yes. yes.
3: We started it last year. It was not just us, uh, uh it happened in Italy as well and in some other uh, countries in the rest of uh, the world, not just Europe. We helped um, create the protocols, international protocols for how this is going to work. And, and what was your e-
0: first port test? Was that Heraklion? Well, which one was Heraklion it? Heraklion and uh, Piraeus. Those two ports were the well, main Well, Piraeus, ones. of course. Yes, yes. But I mean, that's where you had to concentrate to say, if we can get it done here, we can spread it out to every port in Greece. That's right. What
3: did you actually do in the port? Well, the ports have to have coordination with uh, the health authorities to ensure that they uh, are doing all the drills and the exercises on how to deal with emergency situations. So some of them are able to accept a ship when they have uh, uh, cases reported. They isolate the ships, are have to isolate them within. They, then the teams have to uh, board the ship, they have to take extra tests, and if that's confirmed, they have to remove the relevant uh, families and isolate the families and then hospitalize or do whatever they need to do. All right, so they, so they did all the those drills. That's right. This is the kind of uh, thing that they have to do. Also, they have to change all the premises in terms of social distancing instead of sanity. They had physical changes. Sure, sure. Of course. But they did it. Of course, they did it, and um, you know this hotel is doing it, and all the all the touristic uh, uh, enterprises have to adjust. And the ports, in that case, uh, play a crucial role. We have to do it.
0: And of course, if the ports aren't ready, the ships can't come in. It's as simple
3: as that. Uh, you're right. Uh, this is uh, this is a joint effort between the cruise lines and the uh, port authorities. It has to happen uh, like that. And some smaller ports might be laggards and you know be ready later than others. But of course, the the main ones you know, have the capacity, the capability to, to make those adjustments.
0: And of course, initially, what you did was redo the ports in such a way that they'd be ready for the ships that would normally call there. It, ironically, because the CDC has not released the conditional sail order, a number of cruise lines have said, you know what, we're not going to sail from or to a U.S. port. We're going to reposition our assets. We are moving our assets, and many of them are coming where? They're coming to you.
3: Yes, yes. Some of them are already actually uh, on the way from Miami to Greece uh, in order to to start the new itineraries. I think this is uh, this important. The important. Thing is actually that you need to build confidence and an open dialogue. I heard uh, just before uh, our panel, uh, Richard talking about Richard that. Fain, yes, who's he, the chairman of Royal Caribbean. That's right. He he said the the transparency, the the clarity, and the open dialogue with uh, people that they did not normally have to engage, but they had to engage uh, officials, uh, either politicians or officials from the, for the ports, etc. Has to be there. So it's very very important that we provide this kind of clarity so that they can make their own decisions and they that that follows through you know in the whole organization they are big
0: organizations as well thinking back to 2019 everybody's been saying even if everything comes back it won't get to 2019 levels this year where do you see it i think that's fair to
3: say to say that uh 2019 is still far away Uh, i'm not sure whether we're going to see it in 2023 or 24 or or at the end of 22 i'm not sure but certainly this year is going to be a recovery year we are not out of the health woods as it were um, yet and the supply will be much more forthcoming this year uh, whereas demand is still is going to be you know um,
0: wavy well just given this. supply and demand and given what you just said. I'm assuming the prices will be attractive this year.
3: They are going to be attractive. Uh, they are going to be, you know, a lot of choices for the customer. So those this this is this is a customer's market. I mean, that's for sure.
0: And it's sort of like you're not that you planned it this way but you're baking in social distancing then. Yes. Well, I mean, no, social distancing has to be the But I'm saying based on the numbers, it's you're going to you're
3: not going to be crowded. We're not going to be crowded. Last year and this year are at least for my country, but I'm sure this is the same for every country. Uh, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see, um, you know, venues or places or sunsets or archaeological sites like you've never seen them uh, before, uh, with n- not huge crowds, you know, in a in a humane way, you know, not flowing uh, like like it's some kind of uh,
0: <laughs> migration. <laughs> well, crowd. having said that, there are lessons learned in lessons applied, I'm assuming you'll maybe use the year 2021 now that you're opening as your own template for basically planning for travel and arrivals for next year as well.
3: Well, yes. And also we don't forget the long-term strategic goals. Um, What this pandemic will do is it will accelerate some of the trends that we saw in the past and it will decelerate other trends. now which are which are, you know... uh, And what's your hope? (laughs) Well, my hope is that uh, people will um, ask for, for more of Authenticity, uh, because that's that's if you like the uh, thing that we're good at. We're not good at mass, you know, offerings, copy-paste experiences, etc. So we we want um, and we welcome. Uh, deep tourism, uh, slow tourism, tourism that wants to understand the culture, tourism that wants to um, to embed itself uh, in the reality of the place, because we feel that we have to offer in terms of culture, we, have to, we, we can enrich their experiences. So for me this is the important thing. So
0: basically you're hereby declaring Greece is open.
3: Yes, Greece is open as of mid-May.
0: My thanks to Minister Theo Harris. And speaking of cruise ships, just a month ago, they were fighting with the CDC and many lines made the decision to literally move their assets out of the U.S. and U.S. ports, entirely home-porting their ships in places like the Bahamas, Bermuda, St. Martin, Iceland, Greece, and other foreign countries. And then came the CDC announcement about this summer. So what does this mean to folks who've been waiting to book a cruise? I talked with Jack Anderson, president and CEO of Crystal Cruises. Just two days ago, the news surfaces that the Centers for Disease Control is now essentially lifting the no-sale order. It's a conditional sail order uh, for the cruise lines operating out of the U.S. The first time in over a year that that's happened. And they've said that the cruise lines will be able to sail this summer. Again, they haven't set a date. I think June 15th. That would be my guess. Uh, everybody's scrambling now. Airlines are taking planes out of uh, parked storage Uh, Cruise ships are being repositioned, uh, and of course there's huge pent-up demand. Someone who knows a little bit about that, who repositioned some of his ships, as did almost every other cruise line, in the wake of the CDC not lifting that order, is the president and CEO of Crystal Cruises, Jack Anderson. Hey, Jack. Hey, Peter. Good to talk to you. So I'm sure your phones are ringing off the wall now with this news, uh, and, and I should tell everybody that there are some other changes in the restrictions for the CDC, but most of them you've already complied with. Uh, they're insisting that 98% of all crew members and 95% of all passengers be vaccinated. That number seems to indicate an allowance for kids under the age of 16 who might not be able to be vaccinated. But my understanding is every major U.S. cruise line has already gone beyond that and has demanded that all officers, all crew and all passengers be vaccinated. So you're going to have 100% vaccination compliance anyway, right?
4: Uh, The issue of children is is still... An open issue, uh, as currently you can only get vaccines for 16-year-olds uh, and above. There right. is a Because of the 95%, there is a tolerance for unvaccinated children, essentially up to 5% of your guest capacity, or your right. actual guests on board.
0: Now, you can't just turn a light switch and say that you're going to be sailing out of uh, Miami tomorrow. Or Fort Lauderdale, or Los Angeles, or Seattle, but I'm I'm guessing in the in the last 48 hours that you've heard this news, you're moving
4: pretty quickly. Well, uh, you know, first and foremost, I, I have to say that the entire cruise industry is incredibly thankful and appreciative of the CDC and the intergovernment agencies that have been cooperating, meeting with us. Uh, more than weekly uh, to move us forward. There is still more work to be done in terms of uh, detailed protocols and, of course, crewing the ships, repositioning the ships, and inviting people to join the ships. So, uh, no, it won't be overnight, but it, it could be very quickly. And they've expressed a goal to work with us that we'll be sailing this summer.
0: And they've also relaxed something else. Under the original conditional sailing order, any cruise line that asked permission from the CDC would have to wait up to 60 days for that answer. They've dropped that, too. They're going to give you an answer within five days based on your compliance. So based on where you've been for the last year plus two months, and based on where you are now, that's quite a difference.
4: It's it's dramatic. Uh, like I said, there are more details to work out. And there are actually two different paths. Uh, Of approval, the rapid approval is based on 98% of crew and 95% of guests being vaccinated. And you're exactly correct. There's no longer a 60 day waiting period or a uh, test cruise. Oh yes, you know uh, we, we remember we remember done. all
0: that Jack. We remember all that when yep. when uh, you were supposed to do test cruises with volunteer passengers, and I remember when Royal Caribbean exactly. put out that release saying, "Hey, who wants to be a volunteer?" And they got a hundred thousand people saying, "Take me." Well, I'm sad well, to report, although I'm sure op- sad to report for those people, they're
4: leaving that option who- open. Well they may be leaving the
0: option open but my guess is that there're not going to be a lot of volunteer cruises out there because people want to you know ramp right up as as, as much as they can within the the compliance window and do revenue cruises. Yes. Yes. So, for those of you who've been waiting for that call to volunteer, you may be waiting for about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a price
4: tag on volunteering now. <laughs> yeah,
0: yes, there is. And and now, what about the ships that you already announced that you were going to be repositioning to other home ports like uh, like Iceland or Greece? Well,
4: Iceland is our brand new ship, Endeavor, that is uh, just finishing uh, construction in Rostock, Germany. So launching the newest and most luxurious expedition ship in the world in Iceland made perfect sense. So we're scheduling five 10-night cruises starting on July 17th, I believe, um, round all the way circumnavigating uh, Iceland and crossing the Arctic Circle. And the the
0: thing about that, and the thing about that is you picked a very huge
4: response.
0: And and the thing about that, Jack, is you you happen to pick a country that's already been opened to vaccinated U.S. passengers and travelers as we speak. We're not even going to have to wait anymore. Uh, So the good news is for not only crystal cruises, but for the cruise industry as well, uh, this actually represents a victory. Uh, Good things come to those who wait and play by the rules. And uh, there's every reason to expect that uh, you will see uh, ships leave Leaving from and returning to a number of U.S. ports starting this summer, not all of them right away, but at least a number of them, plus you have the option of flying to your ship, whether it's in Bermuda, the Bahamas, I know you're also going to be in the Bahamas, and and of course, uh, and of course, Iceland.
4: This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers. Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes, and your tushies do too. That's why Huggies is the number one best-fitting diaper with its curved and stretchy fit and 12-hour protection against leaks. No matter what kind of butt you've got, you'll feel comfy while your baby's mushy little tushy wiggles and jiggles all around. Get your baby butt in the best-fitting diaper. Huggies Little Movers. We got you, baby.
0: My thanks to Jack. And then it comes down to the border. And few folks are more qualified to talk about that than Kevin McAleenan. He was the commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Then he served briefly as the acting head of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. He's now in the private sector, consulting governments and airports on what they need to do to create a seamless, but secure travel experience for passengers. And of course, since he's out of government, he's now much freer to talk. My next guest is someone I've known for quite some time. I first met, I first heard of him actually, when he was running field operations for uh, U.S. Customs in Los Angeles. Then he came to to Washington D.C. to uh, to be in charge of uh, all sorts of things and at Customs. And what was interesting about that was that's when we first met on a subject called pre And for those of you who don't know what pre-clearance is, it's been around since 1952, started in Canada. And you'll find it in the Bahamas. You'll find it in uh, You'll even find it in Abu Dhabi, which allows you to clear U.S. customs at the departing airport in the foreign country that you're leaving from without jeopardizing any kind of security uh, protocols. And think about it. Who wants to get off an 11-hour flight to spend two and a half hours going through customs and immigration? Nobody. Uh, And they're starting to hopefully, as we come emerging from COVID-19, maybe do it in a number of other key airports around the world. So check that out. And of course, Canada, Bahamas, and many other places. And then, uh, two years ago, uh, at the World Travel and Tourism Council Global Summit in Seville, Spain, we we met up again, had a great uh, had a great discussion, and they and we said, you know what? He was then the Commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection, and I said, let's let's get together when we get back in Washington, and and come up with a number, you know, some story ideas we'll discuss. And I blinked my eye. And he became the acting Secretary of Homeland Security, (laughs) which it was like, hello. Um, So and now uh, he's in the private sector consulting airports and other jurisdictions on infrastructure and, of course, security and seamless travel. Please welcome to the show Kevin and Hello, sir.
2: Thanks, Peter. Good to be with you.
0: So the bottom line is it's been quite a wild week, ranging from the European Union announcement that they were going to open all 27 countries to fully vaccinated American passengers probably by about June 15th. And then just two days ago, the Centers for Disease Control announcing they were going to revise their conditional sale order and now allow U.S. cruise lines to sail from U.S. ports uh, for the first time in about 15 months uh, or maybe even 16 months this summer. It seems to be that things are opening up, Kevin.
2: Yeah, I would agree. Uh, There's some important moves, especially by the European Union, uh, to, to make the statement that they will allow U.S. citizens with vaccinations to travel this summer. Uh, but really, the, the gridlock that's been impacting the restart of international travel, even as domestic markets, especially in the United States, have been picking up uh, more quickly, it seems to be starting to break up a bit.
0: And, you know, the, the the folks that I talk to and so many of our listeners you know, are saying to me, you know, it's great that we're going to get back to travel, but we don't want to go back to the old days. We don't want to go back to you know, what's going on in London even right now with four or five-hour lines to clear customs and, and border border protection. Uh, I know that the TSA has already announced they're going to be hiring 6,000 uh, new agents to handle. They see the numbers going up, so they, they're on top of that. But you have an, a, a unique position now, Kevin, because you you did government service for so long. Now you're in the private sector applying all the stuff you learned doing all that stuff for customs and border protection as well as Homeland Security. When you're advising airports now around the world as to how not to return to the past, what are you telling them?
2: Well, I'm telling them that their investments in technology that can enable seamless travel uh, are going to pay off, Uh, whether it's uh, to help in this environment of restart uh, with still significant public health concerns from COVID-19 or beyond uh, as they start to facilitate greater numbers of travelers and try to do it in, in a manner Uh, that's a little bit more organized and and prevents the significant kind of queuing uh, and and gathering of large numbers of people in small spaces. Uh, So technology is a way to to, to balance both the throughput through the airport and to provide a better passenger experience at the same time. And I think it can also enable some of the interactions with government on uh, health certification. Uh, That seems to be uh, a direction we're going globally as part of our travel restart future uh, and I think that the technology can help with that aspect as well. So uh, a lot of things that, that airports can, can do, you know, without significant capital expense uh, that would be required for, for new real estate or, or, or building structures.
0: Right. You mentioned real estate because airports were never designed for the TSA uh, prior to nine eleven, And they're certainly not designed for public health issues like we've been going through for the last 15 months. I guess the question becomes, yes, we've got the technology. Uh, and you talk about the you know the health document, but everybody seems to be working on the same document, right? Uh, you have countries like Denmark coming up with a digital document for their citizens. You have the private sector here coming up with apps, and of course, we have the old school technology of the CDC uh, paper health card that says you've been vaccinated. Wh- who's going to accept what, and how's it going to work?
2: It, it's, it's becoming clear that we're going to have a number of different approaches uh, globally, uh, and even sometimes with with, with different. Uh, air carriers in, in different destinations. So I think we're going to have to, as travelers, uh, navigate through that for some time and, and really put uh, an onus on the traveler uh, to be informed uh, both about their destination uh, and the process for going for going there. But I do think the development in the industry uh, to create ways to digitize and upload, secure and protect the privacy of your health information and share that with air carriers, uh, with governments, Are going to be productive. uh, But we're not going to end up with just one global solution. Uh, We we do need to move in the direction, however, of, of a recognized framework that makes that more straightforward.
0: Exactly. And one of the things that really is interesting to me is that, you know, it's biometrics. And you and I were talking about that back at U.S. Customs, what, five or six years ago?
2: That's right. And there's actually been a ton of progress uh, at at the U.S. border, uh, both for biometric exit uh, and and now simplified arrival. Uh, It was uh, refreshing uh, returning from international travel yesterday uh, to have uh, facial recognition enable my global entry transaction. Uh, One touch, got my receipt, and was out of uh, of the FIS in less than five minutes. Um, Much different than a a multi-hour wait time uh, of the past. So, There's been a lot of implementation on the technology side at the U.S. border, and and carriers have been innovating with other steps in the process. uh, Where I think we have a real opportunity is knitting together each of those steps in a a travel process to to make that seamless for the traveler uh, so that they don't have to see uh, the the friction points uh, where you're producing identification at multiple steps in a process. Uh, to different authorities, uh, that that really uh, still has a lot of room for improvement and, and can be streamlined. And it's an area that, that I'm trying to focus on in the private sector and that, that my company is focused on.
0: You know, let's talk about global entry for a second because I'm one of those guys who believes that other than pre-clearance, global entry was the best thing you know, since sliced bread. Um, it, it really – even the old form of global entry where you came in, you put your passport in the little reader – And then it asked to read your fingerprints, and then it asked you a series of questions. And by the way, the answer to all of them is no. (laughs) And then, uh, within thirty seconds, you got a receipt and off you went. Uh, These days, I've gone through systems like you have, where you don't even put your passport in; it it reads your eyes and asks you the questions, and in totally thirty seconds, you're gone.
2: It's a it's a really efficient process now. Yeah, that's that's a system called the Traveler Verification System, and it's reading. Your actual fa- your facial recognition and, and the geometric distances between parts of your face uh, to very quickly match against uh, protected uh, government database uh, to give you that quick response. It's less than less than a, a two second response. So that's making global entry even more uh, streamlined. Uh, but I, I agree with you. The gold standard will will always be pre clearance where you can do uh, two country processes at the same time uh, and then really have a seamless arrival on, uh, at the end of the travel.
0: And of course, for pre clearance your concern when you were in the government and our concern as citizens is you want to know who's getting on the plane before they get on the plane.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's better not only from a traveler uh, experience perspective, but it's certainly better from a security perspective. You have the benefit of collaborating uh, with host nation authorities uh, before that aircraft is is boarded. Uh, You can align on aviation security uh, standards uh, and really uh, provide a very high security product as well as a better traveler experience.
0: And as a traveler now, and not as a government, uh, you know, government civil servant, if you will, uh, I'm going to ask you to take off your your government hat, which you did already, but put on your traveler hat and tell me, from the traveler experience, what's the one thing that makes you the angriest now in the travel process, just as a traveler?
2: Well, I, I seem to be circumspect about it because I'm working on solutions to these problems, so I don't I don't know if I get angry about it, but but there are, the, the lack of coordination between the different authorities that you have to engage with right right the air carrier needs to ensure that you are the person who bought the ticket and you're entitled to your boarding pass and you can drop your bag a TSA needs to to make sure that you're the ID holder that's going through the checkpoint uh, and that you don't present a known security risk in the government databases
0: you know at every point in the travel process Kevin um, there have been changes so for example when I went through TSA the other day uh, to clear to get on my flight to come down to Mexico, uh, they didn't need to see my boarding pass. Uh, they just needed to see my face, um, and then they, you know, they just scanned my passport and didn't even have to. They never even wrote on the boarding pass. They used to write all over the boarding passes. Now they don't.
2: Yeah, that that's an improvement for an ID check uh, that TSA does, to confirm that you're the traveler, and it's connected now on a system basis uh, to confirm that you actually have a flight. So that that's definitely eliminated an extra step in the process and made that more streamlined for TSA, uh, and and that's really you know the, the problem we need to keep working to solve is the different interests of the authorities that you're engaging with as you go through uh, the curb to gate process. Uh, if if we can use one ID check and then electronically pass that through the system, uh, so that each authority doesn't have to recheck, I, I think that's going to be a much more efficient process uh, for the traveler and and certainly no loss uh, of security or, or accuracy when you're using biometrics.
0: The other thing I've noticed, of course, is the the folks at Clear. Uh, they were, you know, they were early in the game, uh, at least in the last couple of years, in the biometrics area, and they claimed to me, and I didn't believe them, and then I tried it, that, you know, I didn't need to carry anything in my, in my hand other than my eyes. You know, just, it was the eye reader, and you got to squirt it to the front of the TSA line, and you were already verified, approved, and on your way.
2: Yeah, that's a good example of public-private partnership uh, to aid and streamline that that process going through TSA.
0: And, you know, now they've expanded to sports arenas and concerts and any kind of public event. So here's my big bad question for you. Do you see down the road, as everybody's working on technology for this digital document, otherwise known as a, you know, vaccine passport, that we'll be using that much like we use a driver's license to go to the grocery store, the movie theater, the dry cleaner, Uh, not just to get on a plane?
2: So I don't know that we'll need to use it for all those domestic activities, but I do think the trend toward digitization uh, of identity is absolutely going to continue and and be pronounced. Uh, The the use of, of plastic or even paper Representations of your identity uh, really are not necessary anymore with the with the evolution of technology and the advent of biometrics that are very quick and easy uh, to confirm, like facial recognition, like like iris. Uh, but I don't I don't know that we're going to get to the point where you you need to use those to do daily activities uh, if you want a, a more streamlined or VIP experience uh, and, and avoid lines by using biometrics. I think that'll be an offering that's more frequently available.
0: Of course, you mentioned earlier on facial recognition that, you know, it measures the distance between, let's say, your cheek and your nose and other information that are in the database. Let's say you're on vacation for like three months and gain a lot of weight. Are you in trouble then?
2: <laughs> no. It, it, the system is, is very accurate, uh, even with weight gain, uh, even in some cases wearing glasses, uh, even with uh, uh, masks uh, on. Uh, you know, there, there are a number of facial features that are, that are measured with great precision. Uh, with with even uh, commoditized cameras today, so uh, you're okay if you gain a little weight on vacation, even if you've been at a destination for a while in this unique COVID year.
0: So basically, if I gain weight, I could just say I'm using it as an excuse to test the system.
2: <laughs> you you could. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Just checking. I don't know. I I'm, Look, I'm, I look for any excuse I can if I gain weight. What's on your wish list? What do you want to see happen as the numbers are now coming back? And we're looking at what seems to be a pretty robust summer of travel, considering the EU de- uh, announcement, which will trigger other announcements in other countries. And of course, the recent uh, Centers for Disease Control announcement on the cruise lines. What's, what's Kevin's wish list?
2: So I think, number one, as we start to see the the race between the vaccines and the virus uh, tilt in favor of of the vaccines, uh, they're talking about a a tipping point here in the United States as cases are are declining. Uh, For instance, I'd like to see that that collaboration between our public health authorities and governments with uh, those that promote travel and tourism and and those that implement uh, those those policies uh, at the border and in the transportation sector. Uh, right now, obviously, public health authorities globally have been very focused on combating the disease uh, and, and those kind of clair- that clarity on policy uh, and the framework necessary for, for restarting travel. Uh, has not not come out, especially between governments internationally. Uh, you know, individual governments are starting to state policies, uh, but the, but they're stepping out usually on their own, as opposed to a, in a coordinated process. I think that's really the, the the thing that industry needs to see from government. The technology companies are, are ready to implement. Uh, I think the agencies that are operationally involved in travel uh, can implement things that are, that are, even if they're complex. Uh, but you need that clarity on the policies and the framework to move forward.
0: And right now, without countries talking to each other, it's just going to delay the, 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 the whole process.
2: Yeah, I do believe we're going to have a, a relatively complicated uh, period here in, in, in the interim where, again, the traveler's got to be really astute, uh, try to learn about the requirements, uh, especially if they're going to be visiting multiple countries on a journey.
0: My thanks to Kevin, to Jack Anderson, and to Minister Theo Harris of Greece. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, and get ready, there's a lot more coming. Just log on to PeterGreenberg.com.
1: Special thanks to our sponsors at Clear. Enroll in Clear at clearme.com slash peter and zip through busy airports nationwide. If you like Ion Travel with
0: Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.
1: A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, The Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus.
3: Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about You.